Well, it's good to be back. Um, Megan and I left for about six days of vacation right after barbecue and books, and we came back just the middle of this last week kind of to jump right into garage sale uh, readiness, uh, the wedding yesterday, and um, but uh, excited about what's going on and what's been happening, encouraged by so many that are participating. As I said, uh, a lot of new faces at barbecue and books, uh, uh, so fun, good connections that we're making uh, right here in Naperville. Uh, children. Children is a lot of what we're talking about uh, today, especially. Now, early in the summer, we made connection with some of the oldest residents of Neighborville at Alden, and we will continue that as well. But right now, as we work with these schools, we're talking about kids. It's part of our summer outreach. Children here in Naperville, children in the Congo, children in Gemina, Congo, children in Karawa, Congo, uh, children, education, and empowerment. Children, education, and empowerment is really what we're talking about. Here and there. Literacy and its impact in fighting the ongoing effects of poverty as we see in Congo. But even in Naperville, even in Naperville where so many of you go to those coveted 203, 204 schools, which means your children will turn out perfectly, right? No, just kidding. Um, But seriously, ranked one of the best school districts in the country. Even in Naperville, there's children that are falling behind in their reading. Children who, through circumstances in home or life or whatever, are are not caught up and need the encouragement of some of these extra literacy programs that are not provided for in the fine education that our kids receive in Naperville. And so we're about the empowerment that comes as kids learn to read and, and, and are strengthened in their educational efforts. As followers of Jesus, this really is rooted in the living word of God. We believe that we believe in the, the dignity of each of God's creations. We believe in the dignity and the right to flourish, the right to flourish that is given by God to all people. Statistics and stories, both locally and globally, continue to show the power of literacy to lift people from poverty. It's not instant, it's not magic. There's other factors, obviously, but it is real. And to me, and to us here, as we grow in our awareness, these inequities in education here and there have become not just an issue of being nice and trying to help, but it's become an issue of biblical justice. Not just do good social action, it is social action, but it is rooted in a biblical view of justice. Justice is the business of making things right. God is a just God who makes things right. And we partner with him in doing that. Those inequities, those inequities that exist in the world and even in our community of giving privilege and access to some and then limiting it for others is what I think is behind Jesus' words here about serving and loving and showing mercy to the least of these. The least of these. I also believe in this parable-like teaching of Jesus that he is really drawing the two parts of the great commandment together. The great commandment, you'll remember, that we've said it over and over again, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is pulling these together and saying, and when you are loving these, you are loving me. When you are serving these who are out there on the edges, you are serving me. Love God, love others. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Loving God, loving Jesus happens as we extend God's love to others, particularly those in need, particularly those that we call the least, like children, and especially children lacking some of the access and advantages that so many of us enjoy and perhaps even take for granted. Love God, love others, says Jesus, and this is an indication of your relationship with me. These are the markers of a faithful disciple. 
Bible teacher and preacher Myron Augsburger in his commentary on Matthew says this, Jesus taught that love for God is evidenced by love for our neighbors, that knowing God's forgiveness will lead us to show mercy and that experiencing God's love, we will, as a consequence, extend that love. So this morning, we just want to look a little bit here at these two parts of the great commandment. Love God and love others and see how they come together in this sheep and goats teaching teach from Jesus. That faithful discipleship, motivated by grace, will be marked by mercy and love for all, and especially those in need. Let's press just a little bit into this story and learn what we mean, first of all, by identifying just who the least are. Who is Jesus talking about here? Secondly, we'll look at what Jesus says about judgment and also about the generosity of God's people. And finally, we'll apply it to that piece of our vision statement where we speak of making a kingdom difference. Identifying the least. Now, for those of us who whose job it is, like mine and Megan's often and Pastor Diana's, to teach and preach scripture on a regular basis, there's often a bit of a sort of a discerning and choosing process that goes on when we're preparing to teach or to preach. We often will take time to, to, to read about this passage. We'll spend time praying through a passage we're preaching on. We'll read what different really smart commentators and Bible scholars have, have said about it. And we'll learn all of these wonderful things. And we'll take pages of notes and we'll say, we cannot come with a dump truck and, and dump this all in a sermon. And so we, we, we need to kind of decide, how much of this do I include and how much of this do I share with people? What will really help in understanding and what will, really, what will make me sound like really an amazing, smart Bible guy up front? How many, when people will say, wow, how did he know that? He read it and stole it. But anyway, um, so you know, we, we have to make these choices about what we will include and, uh, and what we will say. And then, if there's more than one interpretation, some scholars say this, other scholars say this, do I just pick the one that I like and just tell you that that's the truth? Or do I tell you there's actually more than one opinion on this thing? And that's a decision sometimes that we have to make as well. And that's kind of what I came up against this week as I looked at this passage. On its face, it seems pretty clear that Jesus says you care for the least of these. And, and as you do it, you care for him. But we as people of the word, as covenanters, we ask this question, where is it written? And it means sometimes we need to press into some different interpretations and realize that God's people, as they study God's word, sometimes come at things from some different perspectives that don't necessarily contradict, but are different ways of seeing. So while on the surface it sounds as if Jesus is basing the final judgment on the evidence of our faith, our treatment of the least who we assume to be any or all in need. That's what it seems to be on the surface. But some Bible scholars, respected, reputable scholars, stumble on this word where it says, these brothers and sisters of mine. Even as you've done it unto the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus didn't always refer to people generally as his brothers and sisters. And so some of these scholars have concluded that Jesus may only be talking about the treatment of perhaps his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters in the final days that how they are treated will be an indication of our discipleship. So some interpret that it was just the treatment of Jews in the final days before Christ comes again. Others have seen this through the lens of of mission activity in the last days, and and they, they look at the context of the other things Jesus is talking about at this point in Matthew 25, and they see that perhaps these brothers and sisters are actually the other Christians who in the last times have been persecuted, and therefore because they've been persecuted for their faith, they are the hungry, they are the thirsty, they are the naked, they are the sick. There are those in prison. There's some pretty convincing arguments based on parallel passages, based on word usage and things like that. Now, 
most of these commentators, as I read some of this stuff, said we still believe that Scripture teaches that this kind of biblical love of the other perspective is taught in Scripture. We are to care for the least of these and the poor, but not here. So I wanted you to know that there's some different perspectives here, but I wanted you to know that the most convincing arguments here were for this more broadly applied application to all people in need. I really believe those are the most convincing arguments. Um, Really, these are the the neighbors in need are those, anybody in need of God's love and those particularly out on the margins. Now, one of the scholars that I read was a familiar name to me, Klein Snodgrass, who has been a New Testament scholar for years and a professor at North Park Seminary. He's just finally retiring. He's so old, he taught me. And so he was um, uh, one of my favorite professors. Then he taught my daughter, Kelly, many years later. And uh, Klein, and he's preached here, actually, a few summers ago, Klein uh, was here and preached to us as well. he, uh, one of his books, this, uh, I often use this to keep a door shut, but um, this, is, uh, this is Klein's book story. He's, he's this smart. He is this smart, by the way. Uh, but this is his book about the parables, and um, I, I just want to read you a little bit from here. Not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I promise, um, or we'll never get to pick up all those exciting items out in the neighborhood, but um, I just want to read what Klein says about this, um, this story. He says, At issue is the purpose of the parabolic saying and its explanation. Here he's asking the question of purpose. Are they and their placement in Matthew intended to console threatened Christians, as this one guy argues, or to motivate faithful discipleship marked by mercy and love? Are his words supposed to just console these Christians who are suffering, or are they uh, an argument to motivate faithful discipleship marked by mercy and love? The latter is the purpose, both because of the context and the concerns of Jesus and Matthew. Jesus' teaching and this gospel both focus on mercy and love and, in fact, on judgment based on mercy and love. Isn't that great? That was for effect there. But uh, if you're curious about the different views, you can just, just Google it these days. You can find out all the different perspectives. And if you want to tell me, you know, I agree with the guys that don't, you don't agree with, Pastor, that's fine. But right now, I'm preaching, and I say this is what it means. So anyway, let's go. Um, so that's a little bit who the least are. Let's look again here now. Let's push in a little bit to, um, to Jesus and this whole judgment thing going on and the, the concept of generosity. As Jesus tells this, it could sound as though he were speaking of salvation by works, like you're going to get into the kingdom if you did all these good works. But as we listen and look more carefully, we see that these loving actions are more the result of grace at work in us, resulting in actions of love and service. And we see that the nature of loving service here is simple and uncalculating. It's simple. The things Jesus picks out here are simple things anybody can do. Feeding, visiting, clothing, cheering one another on and cheering one another up. It's not a question of thousands of dollars or a huge church-sponsored program that we step into, although those can help us become aware, but simple acts of help to others we encounter in our daily lives. It's like that quote I gave a few weeks ago from Brandon Hatmaker who said, we need to move from not only doing the scheduled events that show love and compassion, but that they would become part of a way of life. They can be that simple. And it's uncalculated help. I love how Jesus says that those who are being commended aren't even aware that they are helping Christ. They go, when did we help? When did we feed the hungry? When, when did we feed you? When did we help you? They seem to be helping in a, in a natural, sort of instinctive way. They're reacting from a, a change in the caring heart, not trying to score points, not a sense of piling up good deeds and scoring points with God or trying to impress others. It's simply the way that they live as grace works in them. It's an uncalculated gift of generosity, generous acts, random acts of kindness, with no one or as few possible knowing. 
but just serving and caring for others, giving evidence of a life changed by grace. Love for God expressed in practical love and helps to others in need. That's the nature of loving service. And the recipient of this loving service, of course, as we read the story, is Jesus himself. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did to me. Surprise! This is the surprise in Jesus' story here. You were serving me. But think about it. I just read this recently. Um, If we really wish to delight a parent's heart, if we really wish to move him or her to gratitude, the best way is to help his or her child. God is the great father, and the way to delight the heart of the father is to help his children, our fellow people. And those of you as parents know what that's like when someone cares for your child and loves your child, is patient with your child, and helps your child. Uh, it, it, It becomes a gift to you as well. And so that's a little bit what Jesus is saying here is you do it for the least of these. You've done it to me. And I'd add that the, the least, the poor, the marginalized, the overlooked, particularly the ones that God delights in when we care for them. He loves it when we do that. He loves it when we do that because we are loving him and serving him. I love this photo right here. This is, a, if you look closely at the, the beggar's this is the beggar here. If you look closely at that outstretched hand, you'll can see at the bottom there, there's a hole uh, in the hand there. It's Christ's hand marked by the nails of his crucifixion. It's titled, the title of the sculpture is Whatsoever You Do, and it's uh, by a sculptor named Timothy Schmaltz. And he says this, that it's a visual representation of charity. We should see Christ in the poor and in the hungry. We should see our acts of kindness as, to them as kindness to him. And Schmaltz was inspired, of course, by this text in Matthew. Years ago, Jim Toohey was the uh, White House assistant to the president for, uh, and director of the Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives, FBCI. Toohey was raised Catholic, but he had drifted some. He was disaffected, is what he said. And he speaks about how God drew him back. He was trained as a, an attorney and he was drawn to issues of fairness and, and justice. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember some of the, uh, the, the, the radical moves that Senator Mark Hatfield made. He followed Hatfield and responded to some of these calls for justice that were based in a scriptural sense for Hatfield. And so Tui decided back in the 80s to make a quick stop at Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity House on the way to a vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> How's that? To stop in Calcutta on your way to Hawaii. But that's what he did. This is quoting from an article in an interview with him many years later. Tui showed up at a ward for the dying. The sister on duty mistook him for a volunteer and asked him to undertake a task that went far beyond his expectations, saying, great, I'm glad you came. Here's some cotton and medicine and and clean this fellow in bed 46 who has scabies. Tui explains that this was a pivotal moment in his life as the grace and kindness of God intersected with his fading reluctance to stoop to the task. So he says, I knew at that moment there was not one particle of me that wanted to go back to that bed and touch that man, but I was too proud to admit that to the nun. So he says he encountered Jesus in Matthew 2540 in a 2540 way when he realized that waiting for me in that bed was, as Mother Teresa says, Jesus in his distressing disguise is the poorest of the poor. He adds, that's not to say that bells went off and lights flashed, but in the act of touching that man, I recognized the mercy of God in my life and also that a barrier had come down. I had never done that kind of work before. I was afraid of it. He had learned to be a neighbor to the poor. He was finding, as Mother Teresa had, that in the hurting and needy, we find the presence of Jesus. 
not only in our serving, but in what they give to us. And Tui went on to work for her for several years and to give leadership to the Office of Faith-Based Community Initiatives. It doesn't say that he still went to Hawaii or not. I'm not sure what happened. But he came back and worked for Mother Teresa for many years. He says, I encountered Jesus in a Matthew 25, 40 way. And that's what we say when we extend our vision here at Naperville Covenant too. That we are being equipped to go make a kingdom difference. Making a kingdom difference. I don't know if you noticed when John was reading the text. Verse 40 is the one we hear over and over again. But verse 34, Jesus says to the righteous, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is the king himself speaking and speaking of a kingdom for those who have responded and living out their faith. I think it means two things. It means grace is at work. Grace is at work, first of all, in me and and ensuring a a kingdom membership, not just I got mine, I'm fine, I'm going to heaven when I die, but a, a sense of being part of what God is doing in the world as God works as grace of changing me. But it's also grace at work out there and this kingdom responsibility my place to be and my place to belong is also a place of responsibility out there. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do kingdom work and part of doing the kingdom work is our love for the least. I believe in this simple little story, Jesus takes the two parts then of the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love neighbor as yourself and brings them together in this teaching and calling us to a faithfulness in our discipleship where we'll be motivated by the grace that's working in us and that that journey then will be marked by mercy and love for all and especially for those in need. As we finish, I just have a few questions for our reflection and encourage you to take some time on this as we finish up here. Some very specifically here about what we've been doing this summer as we've made some very intentional efforts to connect into our community rather than doing a traditional five-day vacation Bible school. We'll do some evaluation here in a few weeks and we'll ask some hard questions of ourselves. We'll figure it out, but we have learned some wonderful things. But for those of you who have participated in any way this summer, either in the Alden events early in June or the Scott School events this summer, just think about what have you seen, what have you learned Or what perhaps might you be considering as next steps? What are some of the things you've seen and learned? We've met some wonderful people. I was thinking about some of the kids I met. The the first uh, barbecue and books event, I I helped a little boy named Akash. And uh, Akash... uh, we're working there on his little bookend. Akash had, had have never, have never um, hammered a nail before. And I'm not exactly an expert on that myself, but I had done it several times. And so I just worked with Akash, and we, we made it, and I talked to him a little bit about his, his world and his family. His family came from India. He was born here, but his parents and older sister had been born in India. And so I got to know Akash, and that was fine. Then I moved on and helped other couple of kids. The second barbecue and books events, four, days, four, four weeks later, the, the whole place is crowded. I look and I see, way on the other side, I see Akash, and he catches my eye and he goes, 
It was so fun. So like we had this little exciting little reunion. Then he introduced me to his sister, Vanuka, and we chatted it up about all kinds of things. And then I found out that Akash uh, wants to play the trumpet this year in band, and he has about the coolest band teacher ever, Scott Silder. So, so, we got, so I'm going to check with you every once in a while on Akash, okay, and see how he's doing. I met Akash, and so I'm praying for this kid. So this, these are the kind of things that are starting to happen, exciting. So think about that, what you learned. And if you weren't able to participate, then say, I think I missed something. I think I'll jump in later. Secondly, for those of you who are sponsoring a child through Covenant Kids Congo, what do you maybe need to do to build that relationship? I know Megan and I feel like we, we don't stay quite enough in touch with Justine there. Uh, and so we probably, I, I, I need to write a letter. You've written a letter. Megan writes them in French. I have to write them in English and somebody else translates them. But uh, what are some steps you could take for sponsoring? And if you're not sponsoring a child, I want to strongly encourage you to think about it today. We've got at least a dozen packets out there. Danae will walk you through the process of getting you signed up and sponsoring a child today. Or you may want to take some time this week to think about it, pray about it, check your finances and your giving patterns, and then give us a call, and we'd like to help connect you with a child in Congo. Fourthly, what can you do to support the mission of our garage sales that connects us to the community and assists in educational empowerment? You can still bring stuff, but you can also take a little bit of time today to help with some of the sorting, the gathering, Anytime this week that you might want to come, come on Saturday, be just a presence. We love welcoming the community in the church and letting them know why we're doing this. Uh, there's a table right outside in the narthex with all kinds of things you can still do this week to help. Or you can simply take that little piece of paper and make sure you include, you may know some people that actually like garage sales. I'm sorry. You may, actually, you may find some people you know, that love to comb garage sales and just say, hey, there's a really cool one. Come my church. That could be your piece. So please think about what you could do. And then a final question. I don't have it on the slide here, but where in your everyday world do these words of Jesus connect and motivate you? Let's reflect on those as I close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you encouraged us to live out this faith. And you instructed us that when we take time to feed those who are hungry, and to give a drink of cold water to those that are thirsty, to visit those in prison, to care for those who are sick, to clothe those who don't have enough to wear even, that you're doing it to us. You've encouraged us that when we help a little boy of immigrant parents hammer a nail for the first time, that we're really serving you, Lord, and bringing some encouragement to new life in a new world. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to see these things in practical ways and not just put them in the Jesus box on the shelf to pull off every once in a while. But let your grace be at work in each of us, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen.